Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the fair. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning and they'll do a great job for you. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got great guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about vaccine mandates. Andrew Chop is professor and author of Josephus of Oz. He'll be joining us as well as Larry Bell. Endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of many books, his latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It is September the 1st, and on this day in 1949, naming himself head of state, Communist Revolutionary Mao Zedong officially proclaimed the existence of the People's Republic of China. Zhao Enlai is named premier. The proclamation was the climax of years of battle between the Mao's communist forces and the regime of the nationalist Chinese leader, Chiang Kai-shek who had been supported with money and arms from the American government. The loss of China, the largest nation in Asia to, commu- uh, to communism, was a severe blow to the United States, which was still reeling from the Soviet Union's detonation of a na- nuclear device one month earlier. State Department officials and President Harry Truman's administration tried to prepare the American public for the worst when they released a white paper in August 1949. The report argued that Chang's Regime was so corrupt, inefficient, and unpopular that no amount of U.S. aid could save it. Nonetheless, the communist victory in China brought forth a wave of criticism for Republicans who charged that the Truman administration lost China through gross mishandling of the situation. Other Republicans, notably Senator Joseph McCarthy, went further, claiming that the State Department had gone soft on communism. More recklessly, McCarthy accused and suggested there were uh, pro-communist sympathizers in the department. The irony, just think about where we are today, it's just unbelievable. The United States withheld recognition from the new communist government in China. The outbreak of the Korean War in 1950, during which communist Chinese and U.S. forces did battle, drove an even deeper wedge between the two nations. In the ensuing years, uh, continued U.S. support of Chiang's Republic of China, which had been established on the island of Taiwan, and the refusal to seat the People's Republic of China at the United Nations made diplomatic relations impossible. President Richard Nixon broke the impasse with his stunning visit to Communist China in February 1972. The United States extended formal diplomatic recognition in 1979. And uh, you know the rest of the story. Well, with students finally heading back to school for the fall, debate is raging nationwide over whether K-12 through children should be required to wear face masks to reduce the spread of COVID-19. But a peer-reviewed study suggests the mask use and requirements during the pandemic had no substantial impact on the reduction of the spread of the virus. Don't miss out on the content. Uh, The result... COVID-19 case growth and mask use in the United States comparing states with uh, mask mandates and states without and found that mask mandates and use likely did not affect COVID-19 growth. The result contradict the popular belief that mask mandates effectively reduce the spread of COVID-19. It appears that mandates and typical mask use uh, among the public have no substantial impact on COVID-19 growth, Guerrero said. Early in the pandemic, summer 2020, there was an association between lower infection rates and mask mandates in use. However, this association disappeared when transmission levels rose despite increased mask use in the fall and winter. And while growth rates did decline in states after mask mandates became effective, rates declined in similar degree in states without mandates. Uh, The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention recommends that anyone who is not vaccinated against COVID-19 and is older than age two should wear a mask in indoor public spaces, which goes to show that the CDC is not following the science. Their credibility has diminished substantially. We're going to have talk more about this with Bob Levy later in the show. Well, a defiant President Joe Biden defended his tumultuous exit from the Afghanistan on Tuesday, refusing to admit mistakes or accept blame for lives lost 
or Americans left behind. Here's a quote from uh, Old Joe. Some say that the evacuation from Afghanistan could have been started sooner and completed in a more orderly fashion, he said. I respectfully disagree, which is really boneheaded. Biden suggested and began by describing the military evacuation as a success, defying critics of his rushed exit from the country after the Taliban seized control of Kabul on August the 15th. The extraordinary success of this mission is due to the incredible skill, bravely, not bravery, (laughs) bravely, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals, he said. Biden was 44 minutes late for a scheduled speech, even though it was already scheduled for earlier in the a- from earlier in the afternoon. He began his speech by nearly shouting from the podium as he defended his efforts. His address took place more than 24 hours after the last flight left Kabul airport, leaving the State Department and the Pentagon to explain why Americans were left behind, even after Biden promised to stay until every American was evacuated. The president also defended leaving Americans behind in Afghanistan, arguing that 90% of Americans who wanted to leave were evacuated. Now, who in the heck would want to stay in Afghanistan under those circumstances? Makes no sense. Biden said the decision to leave on August the 31st was a decision supported by his military and civilian advisors. He said the August 31st deadline for departure was not an arbitrary date line, but designed to save American lives. He really said that, I'm not kidding. Even though he repeatedly changed the exit date since he became president, Biden also tried to excuse his failure by suggesting that many Americans who remain in Afghanistan were staying willingly. The bottom line is there's no evacuation from the end of the war that you can run without this kind of complexities and challenges, threats we faced, none, he said. Biden also blamed his predecessor for empowering the Taliban in Afghanistan, arguing that he had no intention of staying longer than August the 31st. This was a real choice between leaving and escalating. He said, I was not going to uh, extend this war forever, and I'm not going to extend a forever exit. Joe Biden, when he probably should have said, you know, mistakes were made, uh, we're going to learn from this. He didn't do that. He defended uh, the withdrawal the way it was done, so there was a great success. He left behind so many Americans, Americans who were standing at the gate trying to get in. How about these rescue dogs, too, that uh, were left behind and will, um, no doubt, die in uh, Kabul? Really a shame. And uh, the president has no self-awareness, has no, and uh, no heads are going to roll as a result of this. It's really, really a shame. <clears throat> Shanna Chappelle, the mother of U.S. Marine killed by Taliban suicide bomber in Afghanistan last week excoriated President Joe Biden on social media after meeting with him in Dover. Chappelle is the mother of Marine Corporal Lance uh, Corporal Karim Nikoi of Norco, California, age 20, one of the 13 American casualties that occurred after terrorists struck a military checkpoint during Biden's disastrous exit from Afghanistan. She recounted that she met Biden on Dover Airport for a dignified transfer ceremony and said the president tried to talk to her about her son Biden, his son Biden, or Bo, who died of cancer. You tried to interrupt me and give me your own sob story, and I had to tell you that this wasn't about you, so don't make, make it about you, she wrote. Chappelle also wrote that Biden grew frustrated with her as she continued to talking to him. You then roll your effing eyes in your head like you were annoyed with me, and uh, I let you know that the only reason I was talking to you was out of respect for my son, she wrote. She said that Biden turned to walk away and threw up his hands behind him as she continued to speak. You turned and walked away, and I let you know my son's blood was on your hands, and you threw your hands up behind you as you walked away from me like you were saying, oh, whatever, she wrote. She said she watched as Biden checked his watch five different times during the ceremony. What the F was so important that you had to keep looking at your watch, she asked. You're nobody special, Biden. America hates you. Chappelle, she was very angry, obviously. But uh, you know what? He had it coming. Chappelle's Instagram account was suspended by the Facebook-owned company, but restored after Breitbart News highlighted the latest example of censorship by the company. We express our deepest condolences to Miss Chapel and her family, said the Instagram spokesperson. Her tribute to her heroic son does not violate any of our policies, and while the post was not removed, her account was incorrectly deleted 
and we have since restored it. Uh, which gets into this whole other issue of censorship from Facebook and other big tech companies. Well, dozens of retired generals and admirals have called on the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Senator General Mark Milley, to step down, accusing them of negligence in connection with a disastrous U.S. troop withdrawal in Afghanistan. Signatories who claim membership in a group called Flag Officers for America claim Austin and Miley should have recommended uh, against this dangerous withdrawal in the strongest possible terms. If they did not do everything within their authority to stop the hasty withdrawal, they should resign, the letter said. Conversely, the letter adds, if Austin and Miley fought President uh, Biden's pullout from tooth and nail, then they still should resign as a matter of conscience and public statement. The letter had 87 signatories as of Monday night, including retired Navy Rear Admiral John Poindexter, a former national security advisor under President Ronald Reagan, Representative Ronnie Jackson from Texas, a former Navy Rear Admiral, longtime White House physician, and retired Army Brigadier General David Bolduc, a Republican candidate to represent New Hampshire in the Senate. He had it coming. Old Joe, you're not going to be able to explain this away. People are not going to forget, and it's going to affect you, your administration, your agenda, and the elections in 2022. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is LifeInNaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 <coughs> not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, 
and Limited Government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about vaccine mandates, uh, clearly with the uh, Delta variant and uh, all the things that are going on right now, this discussion of masking people up, lockdowns, and uh, vaccine mandates. So uh, let's start off with what libertarian principles, because Cato, of course, Cato Institute is a libertarian organization, might apply in deciding whether the COVID vaccine mandate is justified. Well, the basic principle of libertarianism is you can do whatever you want to do as long as you don't injure anybody else and stop them from doing what they want to do. So that's really the issue when it comes to to uh, vaccines. Um, the controversy is uh, if, the, if the vaccine doesn't harm you, and that's a first question, of course, but assuming it doesn't harm you, then can you refuse to be injected on grounds of personal autonomy, even though by refusing, you might be causing other folks risks. So that's the issue, and frankly, it's a very close call. Even among libertarians, there's some disagreement. Uh, mostly, um, libertarians allow government to intervene when some people are violating uh, the rights of others. Usually, the injury occurs, and then government comes in and punishes whoever injures an innocent party. But sometimes there's harm by virtue of increased risk, even before there's actual injury, and government is often justified in intervening to stop that harm in the form of increased risk. And that would be true of just about any safety requirements, like you know stopping uh, nuclear uh, power plants from engaging in, in risky uh, uh, unsafe practices. We don't have to wait for that nuclear explosion to occur before government can intervene and tell the power plant there are certain obligations. Yeah, or safety belts would be another example. Yes, safety belts. There is a question there, however, as to whether my not wearing a safety belt does any damage to anybody else. So safety regulations usually address future harm rather than past injury. Tell us more about that area of the law. Yeah, usually when you when you cause damage, uh, then government functions and by virtue of punishing you. Uh, it's more complicated when government uh, tries to alleviate this this future harm. And this there's an area of the law that uh, this is called endangerment, and you have a tough time applying rights theory. You know, the, the most common endangerment issue that we're used to, where there doesn't seem to be much controversy, is speed limits. I mean, everybody understands the need for speed limits, even though nobody, by speeding, has yet injured anyone else. It's the potential for injury uh, that is uh, the governing principle. So then the question is, how much risk do I have to incur uh, before you behave in a manner uh, that could uh, cause me harm sometime in the future? And when we can't figure that out on a rights basis, uh, because of the conflicting rights, uh, then sometimes we look to these cost-benefit trade-offs, you know, utilitarian principles. Mm-hmm. So what are the factors you'd consider in the context of vaccine mandates? Uh, start with safety of a vaccine for ex- itself. I think as of this writing, we have about 170 million Americans who've been vaccinated. And according to CDC, uh, the vaccine which has been very carefully monitored, so we are told, uh, is remarkably safe. So we don't have very many adverse events, and the ones that we have are not serious. Uh, Long-term side effects are unlikely. So we have that. uh, We also have history uh, that vaccine mandates are nothing new. You know, they were approved by the Supreme Court back in 1905 uh, when smallpox vaccines were mandatory, uh, we have every state in the union right now that requires vaccines <clears throat> for school children. Wyoming is one I took a look at, and it requires vaccines for 12 uh, different uh, diseases. So I think in terms of safety, we uh, we have pretty good history that the vaccine is safe. 
Well, I, I would. Uh, there's a lot of evidence too that uh, it's not safe and, uh, and and not effective too, because right now we're seeing a lot of people who have taken the vaccine who are number one are carriers. Apparently, they're able to spread it to other people, and number two, uh, they have a recurrence of the uh, of the disease itself, and uh, apparently even become more vulnerable to the disease after they've had the vaccine, according to authorities. Yeah, the, the good news there is that the people who have taken the vaccine and nonetheless have breakthrough uh, infections, <clears throat> those infections tend to be a good deal less serious. They're, they're not hospitalized. Very, very few uh, have died. And, of course, as we vaccinate a larger and larger percentage of the population, you would expect to see more uh, growth in the number of breakthrough infections. Uh, more people vaccinated means more possibility of breakthroughs. Taking it is absurd. If we vaccinated everybody, then anybody who got infected would be a breakthrough infection. So it's not surprising that that number is growing. Yeah, but doesn't that put the vaccine in the in the realm of a therapeutic as opposed to a vaccine? In other words, if people are able to have a recurrence of it, it simply reduces the injury or the symptoms after the fact rather than preventing uh, the disease in the first place. Well, very few people have a recurrence, number one. And number two, there's nothing wrong with preventing <clears throat> severity and preventing hospitalization and preventing death. So if all this does is reduce the amount of risk uh, from a recurrence, that still, I think, is a worthwhile uh, objective. And then, it, of course, it has to be weighed against all these other uh, factors. Yeah. So what about the injury, if any, that might arise if there were no vaccine mandate? Well, <clears throat> of course, one question is that uh, who's being harmed? And if a guy chooses not to be vaccinated and he's the only one who is potentially harmed, then there's nothing wrong with that because he has a choice. He can decide to go get vaccinated. But in fact, uh, there are other folks who are at risk. At least three other classes of people were harmed. First is the people who can't be vaccinated for medical reasons, and then they get COVID from an unvaccinated person. Second is people who cannot now obtain medical treatment for lots of other things because unvaccinated COVID patients have strained the capacity of hospitals and equipment and staff, and particularly true in Florida. Uh, and in Texas, where the hospitals are uh, at their very limit. And the third class is people who may be affected by this new Delta variant, and there's pretty good evidence that the Delta variant might not have mutated if a larger percentage of the population uh, had been vaccinated. And bear in mind that class number one, the people who can't be vaccinated, it's probably a small number of people, but it does include, very importantly, all children under 12 years old. And uh, there are a few of them, quite a few now, who are experiencing more serious problems uh, from the Delta variant. Yeah. You know, I think this is uh, the case for having some sort of a mandated vaccine, I think is a strong one. Uh, and uh, I would uh, agree with that if, in fact, uh, the virus were that, as contagious as they suggest. We first thought there was going to be 2% deaths, if you recall, uh, when this thing first broke out. So we needed to take some sort of precautions, and I certainly agreed with those. But now that we understand what's going on a lot better, I really appreciate the way that Governor DeSantis is handling it here in Florida, basically providing therapeutics like uh, the uh, uh, monoclonal uh, antibodies at, with no prescription, by the way. You can just go by and get it taken care of if you have the symptoms. And People I've talked to have had it really clear up. So, in other words, therapeutics work as well. And I just wonder if really... Uh, uh, the coronavirus is uh, worthy of some sort of a vaccine mandate. Well, I, I agree that the therapeutics do seem to be working, and they are being um, recommended by medical authorities. And I think DeSantis is right to uh, emphasize that approach as well. The question is whether uh, vaccines in addition are helpful. I do criticize DeSantis on one, I think, uh, uh, pretty obvious uh, problem that he's raised, and that is trying to prevent private companies like Norwegian Cruise Lines from uh, from uh, implementing a vaccine mandate. Um, property rights are involved there, and, and the government DeSantis should not be enforcing 
a, a ban on, on vaccine mandates by a private entity, uh, the property owner has the right to specify the terms and conditions of employment for the crew and also whether or not a person, a passenger, uh, who might have a highly contagious disease mm-hmm. uh, should be allowed to enter uh, the property owner's premises. So I do think that this is a property rights issue quite separate from the issue of safety and effect, efficacy of the vaccine. Yeah, great point, Bob. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up. We're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. That's gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. One of the programs is creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, a lot going on, and I've been looking forward to discussing all of this with you. In fact, of course, Afghanistan, uh, what's happening with COVID. What are your thoughts? Well, thank goodness we have three hours to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> Excuse me. A um, little bit of good news first. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller uh, uh, offered some pushback from the United States military, demanding accountability from the Biden administration in terms of the fiasco in uh, Kabul. Uh, he was relieved of command, of course, and has subsequently resigned from the from the Marine Corps. But uh, to hear a Lieutenant Colonel um, getting that type of courage to stand up and, and say something is perhaps indicative of a military that has uh, uh, retained this uh, historic integrity. At least I'd like to interpret it that way at, at this moment. So uh, that's a bit of good news. Uh, in terms of other things that I could just quickly mention, uh, I have a son that's living down in um, Marrero, Louisiana, Jefferson Parish, which is the West Bank right across from New Orleans. 
And uh, just talking to him yesterday, he indicates, Bob, that uh, his power, they have told him, will be out six to eight weeks. And um, I've been, I spent a lot of time in New Orleans. That's where my family's originally from. And I, I can't imagine being there without air conditioning or any, uh, any power for six to eight weeks. So uh, sometimes we just have to uh, really count our blessings as life, as life uh, unfolds for us. Yeah, I mean, I recall when we were out, uh, some people were out, with, uh, out without electricity for a couple of weeks during Irma. So, well, and of course, it's so hot and humid down there, and it's just uh, unbearable in some ways. So it's going to be a very tough trek for a lot of people, and probably uh, uh, very concerning for, for health uh, for a lot of people who have compromised immune systems. Well, well, there's no doubt, and uh, you know, this is a uh, a city that's so in New Orleans itself. There's always a city waiting for disaster. My uh, my my relatives down there uh, used to tell me that it's nothing but a bathtub, except it has no drain uh, drain hole, so it fills up, but it can't empty out. So this is a city that uh, probably should be moved up up river uh, on the Mississippi, because eventually uh, New Orleans is is doomed somewhat in the. Uh, uh, in the uh, keeping with the uh, the problems that Venice and Italy faces, so uh, you know I, I feel for my people down there. I still have a significant number of of relatives in that area, and they're 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 going through a lot right now. So uh, I have a, a lot of sympathy for them, and I send my prayers to them all the time. Bob, absolutely, and of course, uh, one bright spot in all this is the dike system held up uh, so which is which is great considering the, the severity of the weather that we had hey you've been writing a lot about islam lately maybe you can uh, give us your thoughts and reflections on what's going on well i, I have been certainly the the events in afghanistan have, have triggered that uh I'll, let me move backwards a little bit it's in keeping with with that kind of a question but uh sahan sahan has uh, recently been uh, approved for parole, uh, the, uh, the assassin of Robert Kennedy that was primarily generated because uh, two of Robert Kennedy's sons have appealed for that parole. I, I failed to see the significance of why the son's position would matter as it pertains to that assassination. This was an American tragedy. This was not a, uh, at the time, it was certainly a personal tragedy, but after 50 years, this is an American tragedy. And uh, Sirhan Sirhan was actually the first assassin, the first terrorist, uh, Islamic terrorist to hit America. Uh, and sort of an aside from that, my wife was in the Ambassador Hotel when Robert Kennedy was assassinated. She wow. was working for CBS at, at that point in California, and she was she was in the hotel when uh, Robert Kennedy was killed. Uh, I was in Vietnam. This uh, included the, uh, in that year, it included the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King and, uh, you know, the troops that were over there. We're, we were just uh, aghast in terms of what the heck was happening in the, uh, in the home country uh, with, with uh, King being assassinated and Kennedy being assassinated. So, you know, uh, it, was, uh, it was a horrible series of events. Uh, I don't think a, uh, a heinous event like that can be uh, can be uh, eliminated by a parole. I think it has to be sustained. Um, I don't want to show no compassion for Sirhan Sirhan, but uh, I think the event would be too significant for Islam if Sirhan Sirhan's final uh, parole is granted. Uh, and certainly, uh, again, he is a hero in the Islamic world, and, and that would be a, a significant victory for uh, for Islam. Uh, getting back to your to your basic basic uh, question in terms of uh, my recent writings on Islam, I uh, I have a long history of writing on Islam and making public presentations on Islam. I I have found that one of the most significant failures in the American system, the American culture, perhaps, is the unwillingness or inability, both perhaps, uh, to identify Islam as being. Uh, if not a significant contributing factor, perhaps the entire factor uh, that drives this process. We tend to talk in terms of uh, Taliban or Al-Qaeda or uh, ISIS or ISIS-K. Or, uh, we use these, these euphemisms, but essentially we are talking about Islam. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, this started with George Bush and his uh, his advisor being Joseph Epstein, who was an apologist for Islam. Uh, and I'm not suggesting this is about Muslims. And I think we have to clearly differentiate in discussions like this, Bob, that any individual Muslim can be a fine person. Certainly, uh, they, are, they are not adopting the, uh, the dogmas of, of, of jihad. Speaking of jihad at, at this moment, uh, just to look at the, 
the holy writings of Islam to give some details on this. The three holy writings are the Quran, the Sirah, that's the biography of Muhammad, and the Hadiths, sayings attributed to Muhammad. If we look at the Sirah, the biography of Muhammad, two-thirds of that is dedicated to the concept of a violent jihad. In terms of the totality of the trilogy, though those three that I mentioned, uh, one third, the, one third of the total of uh, everything offered in the trilogy is dedicated uh, to violent jihad. Hmm. So I think we have to appreciate that this is not uh, some incidental of Islam that can be uh, accepted or not. You, you must, you must advocate for jihad. Now, many Muslims don't. Uh, essentially, they are apostates. Uh, when we look at some of the issues, let's say Muslims killing Muslims, Muslims can only kill other Muslims when they've been defined as being apostates, of having fallen away from the true Islam. Uh, but the true Islam is, uh, is, a, is an absolute in terms of this situation. If we look at what's happening in Afghanistan, uh, this is certainly a significant uh, victory, uh, not for the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, or ISIS. This is a victory uh, for Islam, and that is the way it's been seen. If I just quote for a second The Economist, I, I, I get that on a weekly basis just to keep up with the leftist view of international economics. They say in Yemen, they set off fireworks. In Somalia, they handed out sweets. In Syria, they praised the Taliban for providing a living example of how to bring down a criminal regime through jihad. And the predictions are all now in place, Bob, that certainly the weaker states right now will uh, immediately fall to uh, to Islam control and Sharia law. Uh, it's it, we must, in fact, start to have meaningful conversations, not about condemning Muslims, but in fact, be, uh, gaining a more meaningful understanding of the implications of Islam. Bob, such an interesting observation. I mean, I, I've had uh, Dr. Zudi Jasser on my show many times, and of course, he's written the book uh, 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 "Fight for the Soul of Islam," I believe it is. Uh, and uh, he's a very uh, dedicated and very religious guy, but very peaceful. And he served as a commander in the uh, U.S. Navy and uh, sp speaks out for uh, religious, uh, uh, for, for uh, uh, Muslims to subordinate their religion to uh, loyalty, for example, here in the United, to the United States. So uh, it's such an interesting question, but uh, you've been such an advocate for understanding the fact that uh, and I have not read the Book of Muslim or the uh, any of the books that you've referenced. But irrespective, baby, your your point is uh, these are teachings about violent jihad. Well, speaking of that, so that, I mean, he's a fine man. I, I've met him, and you and I have talked about him in the past. I, I think he's fighting a losing battle. There is no uh, theologic ground that he can build his case for moderation around. Uh, <clears throat> Basically, Islam, if we look at Christianity just as a, uh, a, a comparative example, uh, a Christian must believe in the resurrection of Christ. That's an absolute. They must believe. If they don't believe in that, they are not a Christian. And when we come to, uh, to Islam, there are absolute dogmatic issues that must be accepted uh, to be considered a, 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 uh, a, a devout Muslim. Uh, that would include, certainly, and maybe be led by the issue of jihad. Jihad, again, to just be somewhat redundant, jihad is not just an additional component for, for Islam. It is the, the, the primary uh, device used by Islam to gain, in their estimation, the ability to eventually implement Sharia, uh, Islamic law, uh, worldwide. So, um, again, it's a very difficult discussion because I'm, I'm always concerned that somebody will uh, suggest I'm, I'm, I'm talking about all Muslims and you know, I've, I've known many Muslims, had many as students, and many are fine people. But, you know, let, let me just suggest that we never know that for sure. Within Islam, Bob, there are two concepts that must be understood in the West. The first is something called taqiyah. Taqiyah is not only the right of a Muslim to lie in support of Islam, but the requirement to lie in support of Islam. The other uh, consideration coming directly from uh, the Islamic trilogy is something called kitman, the requirement that Muslims deceive non-Muslims in the pursuit of Islamic advancement. 
Takia and Kitmon, again, are not just suggestions for the average Muslim. They are requirements for the average Muslim. Now, let me repeat. The, uh, uh, most Muslims don't even know their, their faith. Uh, when they memorize the Quran, they memorize it in classic Arabic, and many of them don't even speak Arabic. They memorize the sound. Uh, so there, there's a, not only a gap of understanding in the West in terms of the, the basic writings of Islam, but there is a basic misunderstanding within much of that Islamic world in terms of the writings of Islam. But once, once people in the Islamic world understand the actions of the, of the Prophet Muhammad, he was a warlord of the 7th century, led uh, many, many uh, very, very violent battles as, as the warlord, gained his strength primarily in Medina, not as a religionist, but as a warlord, uh, as a religionist in Mecca. He gained almost no support once he went to Medina and started to use the, the concepts of violent jihad. That is where he went from 150 Muslims up to 100,000 Muslims in his lifetime. So, you know, I could, I could talk about this for forever, and I certainly wouldn't cover the, uh, the important details, but for your listening audience, uh, uh, please understand, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to condemn anyone. What I'm trying to give is America a better understanding of the enemy that we're, we're facing. Uh, before I stop, let, let me just point out the, the importance of 9-11 in the Islamic world. Now, we Americans tend to think that 9-11 is our date. Uh, in fact, 9-11 is the most important date in Islam. Uh, this is why they attacked uh, the World Trade Center on 9-11. This is why they launched their Benghazi attack on 9-11. If we go back through Islamic history, uh, the most significant negative moments in Islamic history have been on 9-11. Huh. The Battle of Vienna, they lost. The Siege of Malta, 1565, they lost. The Muslim expulsion from Spain in 1609. The Battle of Zenta, they lost in 1697. So we're looking at these, uh, the, this, the, this building around this 9-11 date. When Joe Biden announced early in April of this year that the final date for withdrawal was going to be 9-11, I, I was just amazed that he'd be so tone-deaf about the implications of, in fact, what, what, what amounts to the uh, perception of an American surrender on 9-11. Uh, I think we have to begin to appreciate the significance of the, the, the undercurrents in Islam, much of it driven by the significance of the 9-11 date, Bob. Well, this is great information, Andy. And, uh, quite frankly, I've heard it, but I've, uh, it, uh, right, I really appreciate hearing it again. And it's uh, scary stuff. So I think the implication of all this is that we have to be very concerned that while uh, these organizations and Afghanistan may hate each other. They hate us more. So, <laughs> ultimately, the Uma fam, the Uma, the family of Islam, is what matters. Certainly, they have uh, internecine uh, disputes. The Shia, the Sunni, uh, and certainly Taliban and, and ISIS have no love lost. But uh, in in the in the final analysis, uh, if it's the uh, if if it's any Muslim against the infidel, the kafir, uh, then it will be united. Islam will be united. So I think we have to begin to understand. And let, let me just sort of jump to something associated with that. I hear constantly, Bob, that uh, our uh, involvement with Afghanistan since 2001 till now uh, served a very little purpose. And I would just like to ask anyone who feels that way, how do they know this, Bob? How do they know that our 20 years in, in Afghanistan did not prevent uh, subsequent 9-11s uh, to impact on the United States? How do we know what we did not uh, 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 interfere with in terms of uh, planning that, that might have taken place? So this presumption that because we, it didn't seem to be any value derived, that there was no value derived. I can certainly make a case that our presence in Afghanistan uh, was a significant contributing factor to the diminished level, not only of terrorism in Afghanistan, but certainly terrorism worldwide which takes me immediately into, into another point. Um, I forget my point, Bob. Well, uh, let, me, let, me, let me make this yeah, point then. Yeah. It's basically uh, just, and I realize this is 2020 hindsight, but to leave Bagram Air Force Base, I mean, that was a strategic location there in the Middle East. They certainly could have just said, okay, we're going to turn the country over to you, but we're keeping that. We're going to man it. And just like we have Air Force bases all around 
the world, uh, we could have had maintained our presence there. Yeah, in Biden's uh, presentation, I guess, yesterday, I'll lose track of time sometime. Yesterday, he uh, covered almost everything except what I felt exactly what you're what you're talking about, Bob. That was the critical question. Why was Bagram abandoned? Uh, if you look at uh, Trump's plan uh, for, uh, for withdrawal, including a, a coordinated process between the Taliban and the Afghani government, but it included the retaining of Bagram as one of the major ingredients uh, during this entire process to have abandoned Bagram and the incredible uh, cache of weaponry that was left behind uh, is absolutely indefensible. When I looked at Biden receiving the, uh, the, the remains at Dover uh, of, the, of the soldiers, the Marines, and the, uh, the <coughs> Corman killed um, at Kabul, um, I can't imagine how those parents, at least some of them, if not many of them, felt that they were looking at the man that had caused the death of their son or daughter. Uh, it must have been an incredibly difficult moment uh, to experience that for uh, for these parents. I, I can't imagine what they yeah. went through. And, and Biden has certainly not uh, in any way taken any personal responsibility. Uh, it's been demanded that Biden establish accountability for this uh, this series of uh, incredible, embarrassing, uh, that's the least, least meaningful word I could probably use, but embarrassing moment uh, for the United States. Uh, and he has. He finally found accountability Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, uh, Andy, everything you're saying, I wish we had more time to discuss this because you're leading into some very important discussions. I really appreciate your commentary here in the show. I want to point out your book, uh, 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 Josephus of Oz is a great read. It's off topic for today's discussion. But again, Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, we'll pick this up next week. It's important to continue. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. All right, coming up, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598 3889, that's 598 3889, or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598 3889, or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. I proudly served as board chairman for 15 years and now building a 44,000 square foot uh, performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. 
We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, a major player in the space program back in the day. Uh, he's now writing several books. His latest is a great read. It's called What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thank you so much for having me on. Always a pleasure. And, of course, uh, you write your column for uh, Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. This is great. This is a great column. Uh, uh, DOD's dereliction of duty in Afghanistan demands accountability. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, well, I think we all, pretty much all of us, know that uh, the Afghan withdrawal was a disaster. Uh, there's really no uh, controversy that we wanted out, you know, and then wanted to withdraw. But I think the expectation was that we would maintain at least a small force there to uh, help maintain the stability of the country, not have it fall to the Taliban control, and then, of course, by extension, Al-Qaeda and ISIS and so on. So, so you know, you don't hear any real objection to the to withdrawal. I think it was, a, it was but the execution of that was just a disaster. And, uh, a total military disaster. Yeah. Of course, fundamentally, the whole notion of withdrawing the troops before you you, you drew out the uh, the citizens and and those who have supported us uh, over a couple of decades, and uh, that's just you know just kind of a mind blower that that, that happened. Uh, but I think a lot of a lot of it, uh, you know, disaster central is when they. You know, we, I guess, uh, pulled out of the Bagram Air Base, which is about 45 miles north of Kabul. Major facility with major ability to evacuate people. It wasn't like Kabul, which is surrounded in, by the Taliban and, and very difficult to get into, particularly for people. You know, the, the, the country is about the size of Texas, so you got. A lot of you know, a lot of people were trying to get out and shut down the airport in Kandahar and and but the one at Kabul was also our eyes and ears it was our our uh, main defense center and it could have been maintained and it was I think the uh, suggestion for the military was really we need to keep a few thousand forces there to keep that main base open in perpetuity and. Biden assisted in dragging it down to 600 people and because they wanted to defend the airfield in Kabul. And then, of course, put the Taliban in charge of controlling access, and it was downhill from there. So mm -hmm. the execution was absolutely horrendous. So then you say, well, you know, who's, who's responsible? And is it because we have a, you know, a very erratic you know, president who... We don't even know who controls him, you know, certainly no military genius. And and uh, Barack Obama famously said, never underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. Right. Uh, and and I guess his uh, obviously can't really, really came full force in, in this particular debacle. But, but uh, so you say is that and I've been thinking more and more about this. I said, well, who do you blame? I didn't put it so much in this article, but I'm thinking, well, it's the people who put, put somebody who's known to have dementia in the, in the White House mm -hmm. and, 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 and got him in. And then it's, you know, and then you, you have a, you know, this, this individual who has never been known for being very brilliant or very honest. And uh, entrust him with these decisions, and uh, so is it. You know, you can't blame dementia really, but you can blame the people who put him in, and and you can blame his character, and in absolute. I don't know how many times we've seen him say, "Leave no one, we'll leave, never leave anyone behind." And then you look at you know, look what happened. We we've got hundreds of hostages that are you know that are for barter for. Uh, you know, for hmm. uh, used by the Taliban, as and and worse for uh, uh, 
beverage, and and so we've we've completely lost that argument. We've we've lost the faith and confidence of our of our allies. We pulled out without even telling NATO out of Bagram and uh, abandoned the, the the prison there. And of course, they released five thousand uh, of the prisoners who were who are probably you know ISIS K and so on and. And so it's just absolutely, just absolutely nutty. And then you say, well, is it the military's fault? You know, of course, you know, we know now that Biden was warned ahead, or ahead of time that things were falling apart and, uh, and the military had time to, to respond and nothing happened. They say, oh, we didn't know they're going to, you know, move so fast. Well, you know, surprise, surprise. And, uh, so you you've got the the military and and, the, and and our intelligence that got presumably blindsided, although Biden had been told about these things. So is it their responsibility then to and who who drives the military tactics? Who who was it that decided to try to evacuate out of commercial airport and in, in, in Kabul when we had this massive, well protected facility just a short ways away? Uh, you know, who who uh, who was it that was making these strategic decisions? So yeah. certainly the military has culpability. And then I wonder, well, what about the rest of us? What about people who voted for 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 this? Where we have a we have a disastrous White House. We 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 close we locked down the border in in Af- in, in Afghanistan, so our people can't get out, and we open the border and, and this southern part of the United States and let anyone in. And then by extension, we have a bunch of people now that are terrorists and come in from the southern border from, you know, from Central Asia. So, you know, it's, it's a mess. It is a total mess. And what the, I guess the uh, cherry on the, on the ice, on the, on top is that he stands up yesterday to say things went just, it was a smashing success was the, the uh, general, uh, a point of view that he su- suggested. And he expects us to believe this, so, which is just so disturbing. I just can't believe that he would stand up there and make that claim in, in spite of all the evidence that suggests it was a co- total disaster. Well, he's hoping that people aren't paying attention, and and I think they're hoping that uh, this will be forgotten, and and you would have thought that the, uh, you know, the hurricanes, the hurricane would have uh, been the shiny object that, that directed the news cycle away from this. But I think, sadly, and there's nothing to be happy about, but I think, you know, a very good chance we're going to see a lot of atrocities, I mean, a lot of really brutal things happening. And, and, and the media, finally, they've got some skin in the game, literally. They've got some of the people that worked with them that are trapped behind lines. And so we're starting to see some, you know, some, some criticism of, of what happened in New York Times and and other other you know other magazines and and when and, and then you got the with the White House pointing fingers at the intelligence community and the army you know they got a way of getting back to you getting back at you so yeah so I I don't think he's in for uh, a happy time and of course of course he's, they're going to say everything they can to present uh, this as a success and uh, frankly I think that'll be a hard sell particularly. As we approach 9/11 anniversary and see a Taliban flag flying over the you know the billion dollar embassy we built in Kabul and and uh, a bunch of a very happy Taliban uh, residing in that in that fancy embassy we just built. Yeah, I think it's I think it's not a time for celebration. No, I would agree, Professor Larry Bell. Again, the name of the column is On Point. I hope you go to Newsmax.com and check out On Point. Uh, Department of uh, Defense's dereliction of duty in Afghanistan demands accountability. Also, uh, Larry's uh, latest book, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Great read, Professor Bell. Always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, thank you. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow, we're going to visit with our uh, Cuyahoga County Commissioner, Rick LaCastro. A lot of money being spent by uh, the Army Corps of Engineers. We're going to find out why and uh, some ideas behind it with, from Rick. We'll also visit with Keith Law, 
co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Dr. George Markovich is an orthopedic surgeon, talking about what's happening in the trenches in healthcare. And uh, Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>